Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. You can be seated. We are free. Isn't that nice? We're free. We're free. We were all captive at one point. We, we were all enslaved to our sin. We were all bound justifiably, righteously. We were bound for an eternity of separation from God. But God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so that we could live. And because of that, we're free. I've heard old preachers say it this way after what we've just experienced. If that don't light your fire, your wood is wet. That's true. That's true. Man, gracious. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do, just you want to preach, Nancy, while you're up here? I bet you could. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope that it's on your app. And by the way, you can follow along. If you have the uh, YouVersion Bible app, our notes are here today. If you'd like to follow along our sermon on those notes, uh, you're welcome to do that on the Bible app. We are um, wrapping up, as I just mentioned a few moments ago, our series of messages that we've been in uh, in the book of Matthew. We've been looking through the Beatitudes, the attitudes that should be, just 10 through 12, toward the end of our time together. But we're going to hang out with Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. As you're finding your place there, years ago, um, there was a story about a business owner. You've probably heard of his name before, Truett Cathy. You ever heard that name? Some of you have never heard that name, but you deeply appreciate this man. Let me tell you why. He gave us Chick-fil-A. Can we say praise God for Chick-fil-A? When he was getting his business started uh, there in Atlanta, there were a couple of editors of a news, newspapers, rival newspapers in the Atlanta area. And I'm from Georgia, so I, I kind of knew this story a little bit already. But th they had rival newspapers that they each served as editors of. And not only were their newspapers in competition against one another, they bitterly, well, they just hated each other. These two men couldn't stand each other. And they would take shots in the editorials that they would write in their respective papers uh, about the other paper, but also take personal pot shots against one another. Well, Truett Cathy called both of those men, and he asked them to come and meet him in his office there at Chick-fil-A as it was just getting started. But he didn't tell them that either of the other men were coming. He just said, come and join me in the office. I have a business proposition for you. Well, the first man of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, he came in, the first editor. They sat and talked, he and Truett Cathy, for a little bit. But you notice the tension was grabbing in the room when the door opened, and there was the other editor. Oh, it got ugly. They, they immediately both jumped up, shocked to see one another initially, but that shock turned into coarse words very quickly. And they both turned to, to storm out of Truett Cathy's office, and he stopped them both. He said, hang on just a second. If you will agree to sit down at this table right here in my office and try this new chicken sandwich that I've come up with, if you'll do that, I'll take out a full-page ad in both of your newspapers. It's a true story. Money talks, doesn't it? They said, okay, just for this, just for this ad, we'll sit at the same table and we'll eat a chicken sandwich if you'll take out a fruit. Kathy took a picture of them while these two newspaper editors who had this very public feud were sitting at this table eating a chicken sandwich together. 
And the next week in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and the other major paper that's also there was a full-page ad of these two rival newspaper editors sitting at a table eating a chicken sandwich, and it had the caption under it. We don't agree in most things, but we both agree this is the best doggone chicken sandwich in the world. <laughs> Who knew all it takes to bring people together was fried chicken? I think us Baptists have had that figured out for a long time. That's really why we have so many fellowship meals, to keep unity in the body of Christ. No matter what's going on, put some fried chicken in front of Baptists and we can get along with everybody. It's awesome. If it were only that easy, right, that a fried chicken sandwich could bring peace. But we know that's not the case at all. The author Lloyd Corey defines peace this way. Peace is the brief and glorious moment in history when everybody's reloading. I thought that was pretty funny, but also sometimes a little bit true. And as we wrap up our Beatitude series this morning, we're going to be exploring a call to peace that God has placed upon every person who has believed upon His name. Every person who has declared themselves to be followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, something that we're called to. And I'm going to ask you this morning as we consider God's Word together to really lean in to what we're going to be talking about because all of God's Word is relevant. We know that. But, but this text and the call to peace that God has placed upon all of our lives right now, especially in this culture in which we live, is incredibly important. I often hear from brothers and sisters who ask me this question, and I've asked it myself, I'm sure that you have as well. I want to know what God's will for my life is. I want to know what God's will for my life is. And that feels like a loaded question in a lot of ways, but I, I want to share with you this morning, unequivocally, if you profess Jesus as your Savior, our beatitude tells you at least one aspect of God's will for your life. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Would you recite that with me? Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. As I worked through this text uh, over the last couple of days, I was struck by how intensely personal this passage is. And, and this calling is, especially uh, just, just for me, what, what God has called me to do vocationally, as well as just as a believer in and of itself, as a follower of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit impressed upon me as I'm reading this text this is what you're called to. You're called to be a peacemaker. We live right now in a culture that's in crisis. Certainly a culture that's in chaos. Right now all around us nations rage. Families are at war. They're fractured. Churches are in conflict. Denominations are struggling. People are searching and longing for peace. And chaos on a personal level. If you just look around you, we, we see that people are at war with one another. People are at war with themselves. And people are at war with God. And in the midst of all of this hostility that surrounds us, and it certainly does, you can cut the tension with a knife in our culture right now. Whether it's political or social, whatever the case might be, even denominational and, and, and that kind of thing. You could cut it with 
a knife. And in the midst of all of this, this hostility and this, this anger and angst, we have a calling as believers. Blessed. What's blessed mean? We talked about it. Happy. Happy are the peacemakers. I, I just... Again, the Holy Spirit just really ministered to me as I worked through this text, just reminding me of this, this is a clarion call to every person who is in Christ. One of the most important responsibilities that, that I have, as, not only as a pastor, but as, as a community leader, as a, as a husband, as a father, as a deacon, a, a teacher, as a, a Sunday school teacher, as a, as a t-ball coach, as, as an employee, as an employer, I've been called to be a peacemaker. I've been called to the ministry of reconciliation. Now, if this is such a big deal that Jesus worked it into the introduction to the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, the Sermon of the Mount, I, I need to understand what being a peacemaker actually means. If you're, you're taking notes this morning... This is not going to be super technical at all. Uh, it's just really simple. I, want to, I wanted to give us ample time to spend some time praying at the end of our time together. First of all, peacemaking is an external practice. Peacemaking is an external practice. Underline, if you mark in your Bibles, the word peacemaker. And, and notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. It doesn't say blessed are those who carry themselves with a peaceful disposition. Now, is there anything wrong with being a peacekeeper? Well, no, we're called to be peacekeepers as well. Is there anything wrong with having a peaceful disposition? No, we should be people. Of all people, Christians should be people who have a peaceful disposition. As a matter of fact, I'll go so far as to say this. If you don't have a peaceful disposition, something's not right. There's something missing. There's a, there's a problem there. In other words, if, if you call someone and they have to say, oh no, that's a problem. Those who are in Christ should have a peaceful disposition, but that's not what this text says. The word that's used here in the original Greek construction, the plural word that's used here for peacemaker, this is the only place it's used in the entirety of the scriptures. It's the only place you'll find this particular word that I'm not even going to attempt to pronunciate. It's the only place that you're going to find it. I, I want to look at it in two senses that would be understood in the time where Jesus speaks these words as he's preaching this sermon. In, in that Greco-Roman setting, what does this word peacemaking or peacemaker mean? In the Judaic system and, and culture, uh, remember most of those who are sitting and listening to the sermon as Jesus preached it are, are, are Jews. What does it mean for them? I want to look at it in both of those ways. In the classical Greek sense, a peacemaker would describe an ambassador that's been sent by a king, by a lord, by a ruler to another country, another city, another culture that had been at war with him. He's sent to bring peace. This is actually better translated, uh, the actual wording is better translated peace bringer instead of peacemaker. This is an external practice. Uh, the ambassador, the emissary, he would bring peace with him. He would bring the peace of the king with him. Offer the peace of the king on the king's, perhaps, on the king's behalf. It's an external practice. The Hebrew sense of this word, peacemaker, the, the Hebrew root of this word is found in the ministry 
of the Levitical priest. And if you think about that, the Old Testament priests were set apart. And they were set apart to serve the Lord and to serve His people. We, we know that. The Hebrew word of, of, of being a peacemaker, it, priests would offer daily and annual and seasonal substitutionary sacrifices so that the people could live at peace with God. They, they would stand before the Lord and, and offer these sacrifices on behalf of the people. And then they would also stand before the people as representatives. Can somebody help Miss? She fell down. We'll pray. Man, I think she's fine. She just slipped, but we'll pray together. If you'll bow with me, we'll pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for how you watch over us. You look after us. Um, that there's never been a time where you're not with us. You're here with us in this place today. And, Father, we ask you to just minister now to my dear sister. God, that you would, uh, just your grace would show sufficient. We thank you that we have so many in our church family who are able to care for those who uh, are, are struggling and hurting and going through difficulties in life, uh, especially physical difficulties. And you've been faithful in her life time and time and time again. We have no reason to doubt you today, so we certainly are not going to do that. We trust you, Father, that you'll minister in this uh, moment, in this season. Father, that you would touch her, you would touch those who are caring for her, give them strength, give them wisdom as well. Thank you for hearing our prayer today. Thank you that when we approach the throne of grace, we could do so boldly and with great confidence. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, because the veil was torn, we have access into that holy place. And as we come before you in prayer, we do that uh, trusting and believing by faith that you hear it. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. When we look at this text again, this ancient ministry of reconciliation, as a reminder before we stop to pray what's happening here, is the ancient Old Testament priest they were given this ministry of reconciliation they would stand before the people as a representative of God to pronounce blessings upon the people that's what we do when we pray a prayer of benediction at the end of our services we're, we're reminded of the priest who would say a blessing of benediction on behalf of his people the old testament priests were vertical peacemakers they promoted peace between God and man but also they were horizontal peacemakers an example of that would be simply this. If a man was stricken with leprosy, outcast on the more margins of society, but his pathway back, it ran through that Old Testament priest who would conduct a ceremonial cleansing. You can find that in Leviticus chapter number 14. And, and he would gain access to the community again and to fellowship again through this, being reconciled with his people. So, so being a peacemaker is, is not just talking about peace. It's not just having an attitude, a peaceful disposition, but it's actually bringing peace. It's promoting peace vertically between men and God through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and also horizontally through the teaching of Scripture, through encouragement, through, through unity and how we walk and how we live our lives. So peacemaking begins here. External. It's an external action. Listen, if you're going to be a peacemaker, you can't sit still. 
Peacemaking requires action. Yes, we should pray for peace, but sometimes prayer is a cop-out. Sometimes we just pray. God's called us to pray and act by faith. So prayer and peacemaking is an external action, but also it requires, peacemaking requires internal purity. It requires internal purity. Remember the flow of the Beatitudes we talked through already, and this is so significant. We need to, we need to remind ourselves of this. Here's the danger of what we've done. We've, we've worked expositionally, verse by verse, through each of these Beatitudes, and the danger of that is, even though I think it's the best way to, to teach through the Bible, is to begin seeing these as individual statements that are disconnected with one another. But that's not the case, is it? What we found in this series, these are not haphazardly thrown together. These are not just randomly placed beatitudes, but they, they flow. There's a particular sequence to these beatitudes. One leads into the other. Now, in our text this morning, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. That follows what? We looked at it last week. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's no mistake that the the call to peacemaking, it follows the call to purity. Listen, we're called first to be pure and then to be peaceful. In Leviticus 8, you don't have to turn there, but I encourage you to read it sometimes. We find a fascinating story of Aaron. And, And Aaron and his sons are being ordained as priests. And in the process of this ordination service, we find Moses doing some interesting things to ordain these priests who, again, are going to be externally. They're called to be peacemakers horizontally with one another. And, and what we find Moses doing is these men are ordained as priests. Some powerful things. First of all, he puts a little blood on their earlobe. And that blood on the earlobe is to symbolize those priests better listen to God. And then a little blood is placed on the thumbs of these priests as they're being ordained. And that blood on the thumb symbolizes they better have hands to serve God. And then a little bit of that blood is placed on the toe of that priest. That that blood on the toe is to symbolize they better walk with God. In other words, before they could fulfill their calling of being vertical and horizontal peacemakers, they had to be pure. They had to be pure. That's not changed. That's not changed. We too have been called to be peacemakers. We're called, 2 Corinthians, to the ministry of reconciliation. That's what God has called us to, an external action, vertical peace through a relationship with Jesus by proclaiming the gospel of Christ, horizontal peace with one another through the way that we live our lives and the the principles and precepts of Scripture as we teach them and flesh them out. We're called to that. We won't be peacemakers without purity. We can't be. We can't be. Peace with God precedes peace with others. But where I want us to focus in for a few moments this morning, peacemaking requires a supernatural presence. Peacemaking is... An external action is something that we have to actively do. We're to bring peace. Peacemaking. Peacemaking, it requires an internal purity. Peacemaking requires a supernatural presence. Here's why. You okay? Well, praise the Lord. God's good, amen? 
peacemaking. Do you, y'all don't know this. When I preached in view of a call, the same thing happened. Y'all remember that? That'll bless your heart your first Sunday. God's good, man. He's good. I want you to zero in here on, on what I want to talk about just for a few moments. Again, to reiterate, peacemaking is, is an external practice. It's not something that just happens, by the way. We have to intentionally pursue peacemaking. It doesn't just happen. not natural for us. It, it requires an internal purity. We want to be, we want to, don't worry about my, my grass until yours is cut. And make sure our grass is cut before we go around cutting everybody else's. This is logs and planks. We've talked through that before. But where I want us to really focus in on is the fact that peacemaking requires internal purity. A, a, a supernatural presence. And I say that because it's hard work. Peacemaking is hard work. We live in a hostile culture. Have you noticed that everybody's angry? The way some of y'all are looking at me, I'm talking about you. <laughs> but isn't it wild that it just, it, everybody's angry. It, it is tense. It, it's sad. And, and we could talk about a lot of reasons why that is for sure and, and we, we couldn't exhaust all of them I, I don't think having a 24-hour news cycle is any help whatsoever uh, I, with the advent of social media I think that's just fuel to the fire but it's just a tense time right now you couple that with with politics and social issues and you, you couple that with with pandemics and causes and effects and you put all that together it's just a perfect storm in my lifetime I'm sure some, some of you have seen crazier times than this but in my lifetime it's never been like this before it just never has you go out to eat and, and somebody at the table is just chirping they're mad they're, it's just it's wild it's hard to make peace it's hard to bring that external peace we live in this cultural climate where it's difficult it's difficult so, so the action of peacemaking requires far more than just my wisdom or my strength or my ability or my patience it requires a supernatural move of God if I'm going to be a peacemaker here's what I need I need God's wisdom if I'm going to be a peacemaker in our culture, in our climate right now, I'm going to need God's wisdom. Right now in our world, there's a push for toleration. Tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. Have you noticed the, the pushes for tolerance so long as it's not Christianity? That, that's, that's where we live and exist right now. And I'm not, making, I'm not making some wild statement when I say that. It's obvious. Everybody sees it. But, but there's a push for tolerance so, so long as you go along with what we say. So, so long as we're there. And the tendency to be people that like confrontation, if you enjoy hostility and confrontation, you're a sociopath. Nobody likes that. It's not fun. It, it shouldn't entertain us. Confrontation shouldn't. That's a problem if it is. We don't like that. So, so what we desire is, is peace, is peace. So, so here's where we've been. Here's where we kind of are right now. It's a unique moment that we're in. And, and we've trended in the direction that I'm going to talk about. And it's, it's led to some disaster as a result. 
The desire for, for peace and, and unity, what that has done for many believers, good brothers and sisters in Christ, but I think they've got this wrong. They, they've adopted the idea, well, you have to go along in order to get along. You have to cave in in order to cooperate. We're seeing that, aren't we? But true peacemaking cannot be complicit with sin. True peacemaking cannot be in alliance with, with that which God has deemed evil. Peace that, that is accomplished through compromise of our convictions that are found in the Scripture, not our preferences, but our convictions that are found in the Scripture, that's not really peace at all. It's a feigned peace. It's a dangerous peace. The Ephesian church struggled with this as well. And, and the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, the Lord speaks through him. And he's calling the church to unity. He's calling the church to unity, to, to get along, to be of one mind. And In verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of what, church? He's calling them to peace. But later in that same chapter, pay very careful attention to how he says that's accomplished. Not, not Paul, Paul doesn't say, I'm calling you to peace, so go along in order to get along. I'm calling you to peace, so there are going to be some, there's going to be some divisive doctrinal issues. The cave there. So that you can cooperate. That's not what Paul says, is it? Instead, in verses 11 through 15, he says, And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measures of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should be no longer children, tossed to and fro, carried with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Listen, but speaking the truth, say the next two words, in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Did you catch that? How do you, how do you, how do you find peace? How do you make peace in a culture like ours? By speaking the truth. In love. In love. We need the supernatural wisdom of God to help us to be both honest and compassionate at the same time. To, to thunder the doctrines of God that are clearly revealed in the Scriptures. But do some so with, a, with a, a love and a gentle disposition and a kindness and a compassion. That's what we're called to. N not only in how we say what we say, but how we, how we say this matters. Our, our tone. We need God's wisdom, but we also need God's grace in order to be peacemakers. I want you to listen very carefully. The Christian faith is not simply about loving and serving Jesus. It's also about loving and serving Judas. That's what we're called to. 
And loving and serving Judas can be difficult, can it? Because Judas hurts us. Judas has offended us. Judas has betrayed us. Judas has injured us. And it's very difficult for us to love and to serve and to forgive Judas. But that's what we're called to. I don't know of anyone who has not been hurt deeply. And let me say this. They ain't no hurt like church hurt. It happens. I don't know a single person in this fallen world who hasn't experienced being betrayed, being let down, being disappointed, being injured. And we, we praise our God that one day He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes that has come from betrayal and slander and disappointment, even, even things that have happened to us. One day all of those tears are going to be wiped away. But here in this fallen world, they flow freely sometimes, don't they? In, in a family, this hit home for us. And it created a sadness, and a, a darkness, a, a pain that, quite honestly, is indescribable. And I'm not going to speak for anyone in my family, but I'll tell you, for me, it, it led to a numbness. A numbness that gave way to darkness, that in time gave way to a, a fury. There was something that happened, someone who hurt us, and, and, and I've got angry. I was angry at the someone who brought this pain into our family. I was angry at myself for not somehow preventing this pain or, or not being able to make it go away. I was angry at God for allowing this to take. I may be the only person here that would say that, but I'm being honest with you. I was shaking my fist at God. How could you allow this to happen? I couldn't sleep. I, I couldn't think. I couldn't pray without my prayers ending with me shaking my fist at God. I tried everything that I could do to, to work my way through it because you know, time heals all wounds. That's bull. Time doesn't heal all wounds. The root of bitterness was taking hold in my life. I, I did everything I needed to do, church. I, I fasted and I prayed. I had a routine that I would go through. I, I would read more and more and more scripture. I got counseling and nothing was helping me. I was wrecked. Emotionally, physically, relationally. Y'all ever been there before? Spiritually? I was absolutely wrecked and finally finally i cried out in desperation i don't know what to do i'm done that's where i was kim i don't know i'm at a loss it really wasn't a pretty prayer there's no these or thou's no one listening to it would have said that was beautiful i cried out with peter help help that's all I had. That's all I had. Lord, what, what, do I, what do I do? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me as I was praying. I didn't hear the voice of God, but I, I heard the voice of God. You need to forgive. That's what you need to do. And I'll tell you my first I will not. I will not forgive. So we again, you need to forgive. See, Lord, I'll do 
anything else, anything but that, I'll dig deeper into my study, I'll preach better sermons, I'll worship you more fully and passionately and sincerely. And the Spirit of God whispered to me, you can't worship me sincerely until you forgive. And I was reminded of Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24. If you bring your gift to the altar, this is an act of worship. If you bring your gift to the altar and remember there that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar. Go your way. Be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. He said, Lord, I can't do that. And he whispered in my ear, I did it for you. I did it for you. And what you have freely received, you are called to freely give. I've called you to be a peacemaker. I want you to know that I, I couldn't forgive on my own. I tried. And it was a sincere effort. I tried. To, to the best of my abilities, I tried to forgive and I could not do it. I wrote it in my prayer journal. I wrote the words, I forgive him, in my prayer journal, day after day after day. And I don't think I was being deliberately dishonest by doing that either. I, I, I think, looking back, I think I thought that if I say it enough, maybe it'll just come to pass. Maybe it'll just happen. That's where I was. I was broken. But I would not forgiven. And, and finally, when I realized my own strength was insufficient to forgive my own wisdom was insufficient and inept to forgive. It was impossible in and of my own ability to forgive. Finally, I said, Lord, I, I can't. I surrender this to you. I'm waving the white flag. And by his supernatural strength and in his supernatural wisdom and by his supernatural grace, I'm free. I'm free. I, I'm, I'm finally able to forgive. And it's not made everything better. There's still pain. There's still heartache. There's still consequences to actions. But I'm free. Friend, I want you, I want you to hear me. That unforgiveness that you're harboring, it'll kill you. You, you can do whatever. You, you can preach and you can sing. You can lift. It will kill you. It'll cause a root of bitterness to spring up in you that will absolutely wreck you physically, emotionally, relationally. Every relationship I've got was touched by this in a negative way. Spiritually, it'll zap you. And maybe the Lord has brought you into this place today or you're watching online because this story resonates with you. I didn't want to share it. Maybe it resonates with you, though. May I, may I say as an ambassador of Christ and on the authority of the word of God you need to forgive you need to forgive if you could do it on your own you would have done it already you can't and maybe it's something that took place years and years. you've suppressed it but you can suppress it and you cannot think about it but it's, if it's still there it's still wrecking you whether you realize it or not it's still wrecking you and I, when I say forgive I, I don't I'm not saying you have to give a person a free pass to hurt you again that's not what I'm saying. Not even that you must invite them back into your life. What it does mean is this. I have surrendered 
this hurt that I've experienced. I've surrendered hurt that my family has experienced. I've surrendered it to the Lord. And I've entrusted this person to the Lord. That I've decided I'm not going to get vengeance. It's not, it's not mine. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And he's going to have his will and have his way. And I'm content with that. It means that in submission to the word of God. And in humble obedience. You're ready to say. I want to be a peacemaker. The promise is this. Blessed are the peacemakers. Matthew 5, 9. For they shall be called the sons of God. What that means is. We will begin to be recognized as children of God by others. They'll begin to see us for who we claim to be. Before we close, let me say this. Right after this verse, we find verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted. When they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for your reward is great in heaven. For they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So in Matthew 5, 9, we're called to be peacemakers. And said there's blessing with that. And then verses 10 through 12, the Bible teaches us, Jesus teaches us, even still, there are going to be times of hostility. Romans 12, 18 says it this way, If at all possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. You know what that means? If at all possible, that it ain't always possible possible but if reconciliation doesn't happen and peace doesn't come here's what it means it must not be due to inaction on our part to wrap all of that up borrowing from the classical greek definition of peacemaking and the hebrew pattern that we've been given through the scriptures peacemakers are those who have been made positionally pure through salvation who remain progressively pure through sanctification. We're helping people to find peace within, with others, and with God. That's what peacemaking is. We're going to close this way. Matthew's going to come, just, just Matthew, for a moment. And if you would bow with me, I want us to spend a few moments in prayer, and then we're going to sing our way out. Has God called you to be a peacemaker? The answer to that question is yes. But is there anything preventing it? Would you bow with me? And when we bow to pray, Matthew's going to be playing behind us. We're going to pray through the model prayer of the Lord's Prayer. And here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do, and it's going to be different. It may even feel a little bit weird. Individually, I'm going to ask you to pray out loud. I'm going to give you the structure of our prayer using the Lord's Prayer, but let's pray out loud and let our, let our prayer be lifted to heaven. Maybe you want to find your place in an altar or this prayer bench over here or, or maybe make an altar of your pew. If you need to kneel down in your pew, you're welcome to do that as well. But we're going to pray together. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, spend a few moments out loud thanking God for who He is, thanking God for His holiness. His goodness, His grace in your life. Just for a few moments, pray out loud, church. And ask, just thank God for who He is. Praise Him for a moment.
Thank God for His holiness. Hallowed be thy name. In the model prayer, he says to pray this way. Pray that thy kingdom would come. Pray for a moment for the coming of the kingdom. For our, our Savior, split the eastern sky and come again. Would you join me in prayer for that? Join me in prayer that the will of God is done on earth as it is in heaven. In our own lives. Not our will. Not our plans. But His will would be accomplished in our lives. And we would be content and joyful in that. No matter what it might be. And now it gets difficult. Forgive us our sins. As we forgive those who have sinned against us. Would you pray and ask God to forgive you? Confess sin and ask Him to forgive you? Thank Him for His forgiveness. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In these next few moments, would you ask the Lord? A lot there, a lot to unpack there. I've been trying to forgive. I can't. Maybe today is the day where you say, in desperation, as I've said in my own life, I can't, Lord. I surrender it to you. Help me. Our praise band is going to come up at this time. And we're going to sing together. It is well with my soul. When we've worked out what we've talked about today, we can truly say it's well. Would you stand with us, please, and sing with joy? Hope, freedom, and expectation. Let's sing it out, church, as a praise offering to God. It is well with my soul.